Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 43rd blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's still eating up specs while you're already in a turkey coma. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. It is about one o'clock on Thanksgiving afternoon, so while you're all chowing down james and i are slaving away at our computers here <laughs> slaving yeah uh our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection track your specs and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby very cool travis what's on the agenda this week well this week for our thanksgiving show uh we have four at segments <laughs> the first segment is our top movers where we'll look at the cards that have seen the largest prices price increases over the last week segment two our cards to watch these are cards james and i have our eyes on as uh potentially changing in price in the future segment three is the metagame we can review we'll be looking at star city knoxville which was a standard open as well as the modern component and finally segment four topic of the week we're going to touch quickly on leveraging the holiday season for speculation so let's jump right in at the start. Uh, top movers. The first card on our list this week is Memory Jar. We are looking specifically at the Urza's Legacy Foil. Started the week at just over $30 and it looks like it's about $50 right now. Um, this is because of, uh, as far as we can tell, Brea, the Ethereum Sculptor, the new four-color commander who is an artifact and is all about artifacts and Memory Jar is a very powerful artifact that fits into artifact decks. Um, so we are, look, again, looking at the Urza's Legacy copy here. I wouldn't see the, from the, wouldn't be surprised to see the From the Vault version uh, start moving pretty soon as well. Yeah, important to point out that this is a reserve list card. So despite the uh, single allowance that was made for from the vault, um, we're not going to be getting any more copies of it anytime soon. Um, inventory is uh, relatively low on this card, as with many of the reserve list cards that people took a swipe at for speculation over the course of the last year. And uh, if you're looking to get copies for any decks or you're hoping to, to get in for some profit, um, you, on the profit side, you may have missed most of the, the good times, but there's probably a little uh, bit left as time goes on. Um, in terms of getting for decks, there's no time like the present. This is a card that nobody ever realizes is reserved because there are two foil printings of it, one of which in the modern border and just it, it got in right before the FTV cut off. And uh, yeah, every time it comes up, people are like, wait, that's reserved. Yep. Indeed it is. Uh, what's next, James? So the next card on our list this week uh, is Teferi, Temporal Archmage. This is the um, Planeswalker version of Teferi out of Commander 2014 that you can also use as a commander. Um, started the week around $9 and finished in the $15 to $16 range for about a 70% gain. Um, this is on the back of low supply. It's unclear to me whether this has been steadily draining out or not, or whether it was... Uh, a buyout attempt. Uh, it's not a card I've been keeping my eye on in terms of inventory levels, but I can tell you that across the MTG price vendors um, and on TCG Player, there are very, very few copies left. Okay. Um, I wonder if we will see the other Planeswalkers uh, fall as well. Fall 
increase, rise, whatever. Uh, you know, it's not going to be Duretti because he was just reprinted, but Nahiri, uh, sir, er, no, it's not Nahiri. The Lithomancer, right? Comes yep. to mind as, as a possibility. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd have to take a look and see um, to what degree uh, that version of Nahiri is played versus Teferi. I think Teferi has like about 200 decks on EDH rec. Uh, and the Lithomancer has about 266. So there's actually more demand uh, in theory for Nahiri the Lithomancer than there is for Teferi. Um, so yeah, that might be a decent target. Yeah, I have to wonder, you know, the Lithomancer seems like it would be more popular, uh, I guess, in casual circles. But I suppose the allure of Teferi's ultimating Planeswalker abilities as instance would be is very unique as well. Um, so there might be some additional effect there working in favor of Teferi. I'm not sure. But maybe the Lithomancers just should be next. Yeah, well, I mean, there's only 34 results coming up near Mint on TCG Player. Copies are available as low as about $5, uh, stretching up into the 9 or $10 range. So um, could easily be a, a $5 card that hits 10 bucks sometime in the next little while on if uh, it shows a similar demand profile to Teferi, which it seems to. Yeah, so there you guys go. It's a, uh, a stealth pick of the week. Um, all right, next up is Nim Deathmantle. Uh, this is, we're looking at the foil from Scars of Mirrodin. The only printing, I think, right? I actually did not look at this yep, before. Yep. It is the only printing, okay. Uh, this is a funky artifact. I'm not going to read the text to you, but basically it, it drags creatures back from your graveyard and gives them infect. Um, but it's another artifact. Uh, it fits right back into Brea as well. It's going to be very effective with all the little doctor tokens you can create with her. Um, you know, Brea appear, you know, the, uh, let me, how do I phrase this? Um, Brea has been more popular than I think we were anticipating at first she would be. And I say we as sort of the, the global magic community, um, you know, I, I heard the least about her relative to uh, Yidris or Atraxa, but the cards so far that we're seeing pop are, are artifacts. Um, so, but anyway, cards of me or uh, Nim Deathmantle has been a been an EDH staple for a long time now, and it looks like Bray is finally putting some real upward pressure on the foil. I, I may as well read it out because it's not actually in fact that it, the creature gains; it's intimidate. Um, oh wait, really? Yeah, it's an equipment that for two that gives the equipped creature plus two plus two intimidate and makes it a black zombie. Very strange combination of abilities. So I'm not surprised we didn't remember it exactly. Um, but whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you may pay four. If you do, return that card to the battlefield and attach Nim Deathmantle to it. Um, so it has a couple of uh, cute little synergies with Brea. Whoops, I got a couple of things mixed up there. Yeah, no problem. So moving all right along, we have uh, our top gainer of the week is Chancellor of the Annex out of uh, New Phyrexia. Um, the non-foil move from $1.50 to $3, that's 100% gain. And that was on the back of a black-red reanimator brew finishing fourth in the Legacy Classic at SCG Knoxville. Um, the deck was uh, running all manner of craziness. The uh, four Chancellor of the Annex, Elish Norn, three Gristlebrand, a Tidespout, Tyrant, and Iona Shield of Amiria. And we've seen versions uh, similar before. Uh, this is running in Tombs and Dark Rituals, Faithless Looting, Reanimates, Thought Seizes, Exhumes, Unmakes, and uh, Animate Deads. whole idea is just to drop something important into the graveyard, uh, bring it back fast, and, and put it to work before they can put a clock on you. Mm-hmm. I was... 
looking at this and there's got to be something else here, right? Like, do you think that the that the price is starting to move on this and supply is as low as it is just because of the occasional appearance in Legacy Reanimator? I, I think that somebody probably took a swipe at it based on noticing that it showed up as a, a somewhat unusual list. Um, Legacy doesn't isn't really turning my crank for specs at the moment. Um, no. A lot of the more recent Legacy relevant cards have yet to pop. Um, and, you know, with the, uh, the corporate support and the SEG, you know, large scale tournament organizer support for Legacy uh, in Freefall, um, definitely not where I want to be spending my money. People are still talking nonsense about how dual lands are obvious gainers, but um, we're really not seeing that. They're, they're, they made tremendous strides in the kind of 2012 to 2014 period where Volcanic Islands, you know, doubled and, and almost tripled in price at one point. Um, uh, but we're now in a completely different era. Um, and, you know, for something like Chan- Chancellor of the Annex to stay high, um, it needs to stay out of reprint. Um, and the inventory needs to be really low um, for this price to get propped up for any amount of time. Um, e- even if this is a, a legacy card, how many people are suddenly going to put together the deck? Yeah, 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 completely agree with you uh, on all those. Um, okay, let's move on to our cards to watch. Uh, your name's first on the list, so go ahead. Lots of juicy targets this time of year. Um, Channel yeah. Fireball had a, a pretty good Black Friday sale. Um going on this week or the lead up to black friday they called it and uh, i went ahead and tracked down some uh, stuff on the list that looked like it was too tasty to deny Um, my first pick is seasons past this is the mythic from shadows over innistrad that allows you to go get uh basically return uh, uh a card from your graveyard of each casting cost so in theory this could be a whole grip full of cards um, and we actually saw this card be put to some pretty good use uh, by John Finkel on camera at the Pro Tour uh, in the wintertime, uh, where they had a pretty sweet little standard deck going that was uh, black-green uh, control-based, um, and they were using Seasons Pass to kind of give them some inevitability in the long game. Um, but the card is down to a uh, dollar, and if it was a rare, uh, I don't think there'd be any rush to get in on it. Um, but as a mythic, I'm certainly happy to be picking up copies with, with the Channel Fireball sale. They were as low as $0.75, cents, uh, and I picked up uh, 20 or 30 copies um, on the basis that this is a great EDH and casual card and is likely to be a bulk mythic for a while and then creep up into the 4 to $5 range as uh, supply drains out of the market. Uh, I, I like this. I think this is a... an interesting card. Um, you know, a, a dollar buy-in is something that's just so low. Uh, that it doesn't seem like it's going to take a lot to turn this into something profitable. I mean, it's just that, sure, it's not seeing much play anywhere uh, in competitive circles, um, But the, and, and you're only going to need you know a few copies for your, your EDH decks, uh, if at all, but it's a mythic. So, you know, give it two, three, four years. It probably still hasn't seen a reprinting because it doesn't need one for any particular reason, and there's no one clamoring for it. Um, and then one day we're just going to wake up and notice that the inventory has dried up and the card is suddenly five bucks. Yeah, works for me. Uh, I am also going through the sales. Uh, Star City is having one as well. Um, and I still haven't managed to make it all the way through the sale pages that I'm looking at at the moment. But one of the first ones that jumped out at me was uh, Arlen Cord, the Planeswalker. Uh, they have foils of Arlen Cord at $9 right now. This is a foil flip planeswalker for 9 bucks. 
Um, I think Arlen Cord's power level is reasonably high. Uh, I don't know if she's going to make it in standard. She certainly hasn't so far, uh, but she's got a good amount of time left um, for things to change. So, and even if not, uh, you know, one standard's over, she's still uh, a, an interesting, powerful planeswalker. She's a flip, very difficult to reprint. And uh, I mean, $9 planeswalkers, foil planeswalkers are, uh, they're not too common. Um, so I, I, I like, I like her uh, outlook here. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the TCG price profile, um, it, it demonstrates a situation that often gets my juices flowing, which is that the lowest price near mint foil is $12. Um, but it doesn't take very long for them to be $20 copies. And yeah. what that signals to me is that, um, there is some latent casual demand, um, Vendors are unsure how to price the card. Um, many of them don't seem to be in a rush to unload it. They're all assuming, as as you are, that a flip planeswalker is hard to reprint. Um, and if she doesn't show up in a dual deck uh, this spring, which I think is relatively unlikely, um, given the unpopularity of the character, um, the you know the chances of this making some solid upward traction over the next couple of years are reasonably good. Um, Perhaps not the least reason of which is that the there there are decks in Frontier, which is obviously still a fledgling format, but um, that are running uh, Elvish Mystic into either Goblin Rabble Master or Tireless Tracker, and then topping their curve with Arlen Cord. And believe it or not, the guys that are running those decks here in Toronto have said that they love Arlen Cord. They're running all four copies, and they would never take her out. Hmm. You know, I hadn't really thought of Frontier. I still don't think of the format as going to be applying meaningful price. Uh, movement anytime in the near future. Um, although if it's going to move the prices on anything, it will be the foil mythics or the, you know, the, the really powerful mythics, a couple of them in the format that are out there. Um, and so far frontier has at least on my Twitter timeline had more traction than I may have expected initially, um, which is a good outlook for it. So that's a, that's a good kind of, uh, hidden, uh, demand profile that I hadn't really considered when I looked at this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not at the point yet where I'm willing to invest on the basis of something being good in Frontier, um, but it certainly makes me a little more willing to go uh, deeper on cards like, say, Collected Company or Jace Friends Prodigy, that if they had a future uh, at all, they will have a future in both modern and, and if Frontier becomes a thing in Frontier. So if Frontier is the, the bonus overlap um, and the card's good elsewhere. Um, that that can be a factor for you. I don't think we're at the point where you want to be investing in frontier cards nakedly because you could easily end up in the same situation as with tiny leaders, where you know the format doesn't really ever get anywhere, and you're stuck holding a whole bunch of specs that don't have any real demand profile. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a uh, a toss in. It is not the core reason that you choose to do something. Yep. Um, okay, what's your next card? So the Gitrog Monster, which was on our list. Uh, when it first was announced uh, last spring as something that you could pick up in the you know three four five six dollar range at various points, um, it's now down to a dollar. Um, on the back of basically seeing virtually no standard or modern play and being uh, a relatively beloved card already in EDH, but um, the great thing about these EDH cards is that if they're not being played in the constructed formats that drive demand the hardest um, when they're at peak supply, then they have a chance to bottom out. And Gitrog Monster is a legendary mythic creature from Shadows Over Innistrad that has crazy interactions with lands and is the poster child for open-ended synergy um, with land tricks and combos moving forward. And it's just a dollar. Um, 
there's no way this isn't a, a future five to ten dollar mythic right yeah this card i have a get rug monster deck and it is it's very cool it does cool things and it is it's, it's just popular it's just a card people like um so i am definitely uh, a fan of this at a dollar as long as you dodge reprints you're in really good shape there's tons of supply of the non-foils right now, so you don't need to be rushing out to grab them. But if you can get copies, you know, uh, on discount through some of these Black Friday sales uh, or holiday sales, um, all the better. Um, I don't think you're going to be disappointed to stash 20 or 30 copies of this uh, away uh, and hold on to them for a couple of years and watch what happens. Um, foils are available under $10, um, and I can't imagine this isn't a future $20 foil, because if it's if the foils are good anywhere, it's an EDH. Um, where most of the demand profile is going to be. And it's much easier for foil uh, supply to drain out of the market. It's about 80 copies of the foils uh, lying around on TCG. So again, not quite uh, an impetus for a rush, um, but I'm certainly willing to put four or six foils away as well. Yeah, I actually am um, browsing the Star City sale and am just got to the Gitrog Monster and foils are $6.70, oh. which, which is... Oh. Uh, yeah, which is a good, almost $2 cheaper than TCG Low for near mint. I will be picking some of those up. <laughs> I, all right, just don't buy all of them. I have one in my cart. I want at least that one. I'll let you go first. All right. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, uh, my next card, uh, also from the Star City sale, all three of my cards this week are from the Star City sale, is a Clever Impersonator. Um, foils are in the $8 range or on Star City right now. And uh, let's see, I know the price on TCG Player was lower than that. Let me pull it up really quick here. Uh, the cheapest foil Clever Impersonator is $10.50 on TCG, and there's only one page of results. Um, so it's already, again, $2 cheaper than Star City or uh, than TCG Player. Um, you know, this is a card that we've seen the non-foil of uh, show up on our list before as a, as a card that gains some value. Um, it's just a very useful card in that format. Uh, again, foil mythic, you're not going to see this again for a long time. It's already demonstrated its appeal. Uh, it just left the format not that long ago. I think this is it's going to be on its way up for quite a while. I'm reminded of cards like Sculpting Steel, which were like inexplicably 30 and $40 foils for a long time because that effect is so useful. Yeah, the fact that it, that it can copy any permanent, uh, any non-land permanent, um, is pretty exciting in EDH. And we're already seeing relatively low supply on the foils. I mean, this is another example of a card that was pretty bad uh, in standard. It was rarely, if ever, played. Um, it doesn't seem to have any ho future home in modern or beyond um, in terms of legacy, vintage, etc. Um, but it's, it's the perfect, the quintessential group play casual card, um, perfect for EDH where it just has a million targets and you get to choose something really sweet to do. Um, and as such, the, the foils have crept up where we've got the non foils are sitting at just about $2. The foils have a five times multiplier, even at $10. And there's only about, uh, 20 to 25 listings left on TCG player for the card. Yeah, and what's really silly with this card is that you copy the best permanent, and if something comes back in the play, you just flicker it, and there you go. <laughs> you just you just get the best permanent again. So it, it definitely uh, scales to the game very well. Yeah, that's uh, pretty sweet. All right, what's next? 
All right, so my last pick of the week is a standard pick. Uh, Etherworks Marvel, um, having peaked uh, around the Pro Tour and then fallen off pretty quickly when the Etherworks Marvel decks kept messing up on camera and whiffing, um, uh, these, these decks are still floating around on the format. Um, a black-green deck, uh, as we're going to see uh, in our next segment, uh, finished in 12th and I believe in 26th uh, black-green Marvel deck. And uh, it's a mythic that is playable and standard, usually as a four of, in multiple versions of the deck, and it's down at $3.50. This thing could easily spike back up into the $8 to $10 range if cards out of Ether Revolt make it look uh, especially tempting. And whether or not that ever um, comes to fruition in the format and it ever top eights again... Um, it, it could still have that Olivia mobilized for war effect where, you know, the appearance of um, uh, madness spells gets people's, uh, you know, creative brewing juices flowing and they start thinking that, oh, it's going to be a big deal. And you see these spikes before tournament success has ever come to pass. Um, and on that basis alone, uh, and on the fact that Etherworks Marvel actually has all sorts of weird combos that I'm seeing start to pop up in fringe decks in modern, people think that, oh, you know, it's energy-based, so obviously it can't be played in older formats because they don't have enough energy cards. But the reality is that there are some cards in those formats that actually turn on um, parts of the Marvel that people overlook. So people forget that the first uh, ability on Etherworks Marvel is whenever a permanent you control is put into a graveyard, you get energy. And of course, you activate it with six energy to go look at the top six cards uh, and and put something into play. Um, so with cards like Greater Gargadon, you can start sacking all sorts of permanents to build up the energy really fast and turn it on uh significantly faster than you might be used to and again we don't know what energy cards we're getting in either revolt um, or how soon down the road we might get you know more energy cards to help fill out that profile um, either way uh, as a playable mythic um, under three in and around three dollars and fifty cents i'm pretty comfortable sure i am completely in agreement with you these mythics that looked really good in standard at one point and then sort of you know should we they showed up at the pro tour didn't quite make it and then kind of fall to the wayside um i really like those around this time of year because what you see is in that sort of february march when um interest begins to build again those cards can really come out of the woodwork and see some pretty dramatic price increases uh and you know it doesn't have to hit 10 or 12 dollars as a standard card you know if this doubles or a little bit more than that you're going to have a pretty easy time getting copies out the door. So uh, this is this is a great pickup if you've, if you've got them handy at that price. Yeah, agreed. All right, what's your final pick? Well, I wanted to do a standard card, and I was going to do a thing about Ishkana, the Graph Widow, because Black Green Delirium has been so big and standard lately. Um, and the price on that has dropped a little bit, but not as much as I need it to have. So I'll just let you guys know I'm kind of keeping an eye on it, but I'm not. it's not my pick this week. Uh, instead, I am sticking with the... Uh, Star City Sale, and what might be the one of the best ones that I found so far on here is Deadeye Navigator foils uh, are from Everson Restored. The foils at about six bucks at the moment, which again cheaper than TCG Low by a good margin. Um, Deadeye Navigator is obscenely good in Commander. Um, I mean, really, just <laughs> the the level of ludicrousness that you can achieve with this card is uh let's just say that i have never cast this card and not had all of my opponents groan and immediately start trying to uh to get rid of it um i i kind of suspect that the price is as low as it is because people think it's going to get banned um 
which, you know, they've had the opportunity for years now and they still haven't taken it. They've banned everything else that it works with, uh, Primeval Titan and, and so forth. But in any case, Foils on Dead Eye Navigator, an insane uh, EDH card, six bucks. Uh, I think this is easily destined for $10, $15, $20 uh, in the future, just so long as, you know, nothing, as long as it doesn't get banned or reprinted, it's just, it's just so good at what it does. And it only gets better every time they print more cards. I mean, uh, Panharmonicon, I, come on, people. Yeah, I, I, I confess that I, I actually thought this was already banned in Commander. I'm, I'm surprised that it's not. Um, and yeah, it, I've played with it and against it. It's utterly busted. Um, the ability to just uh, soul bond with something and then, you know, flicker things in and out of play for their comes into play abilities is just has open ended synergy. It, whatever great comes into play ability comes down the road that you can throw into a deck just makes this card better and better as time goes on and you get to a certain critical mass where just everybody wants to have a foil copy and away you go Mm-hmm. uh okay well that's our segment two cards to watch so let's move on to segment three our metagame weekend review uh over on the knoxville side we had um delirium and blue white flash uh, I've heard rumors that other decks were at the tournament, but those are unsubstantiated. <laughs> uh, so it looks like Delirium won in the hands of Brad Nelson. We had a Jeskai Control take second. But other than that, the top eight was nothing but Delirium and Blue-White Flash. Um, so this is why I was talking about uh, Ishkana. Um, and in the past, I've also been a fan of um, Spellqueller, who was in all of those Blue-White Flash decks. What's your What's your take on all this, James? Here's the problem with some of those stalwarts of the format. Um, when people are only on two decks and those decks are, are relatively well-established up front in the format, um, uh, there's not a lot of movement on cards because the people that are playing those decks are already playing them. People that don't like those decks may give up the format. There's certainly been some rumblings and rumors that Standard's not doing as well this fall as it was last year. Um and, you know, we're seeing a lot of promotional, suspicious promotional activity by Wizards that seems to be trying to incent people to come back to Standard leading into the holidays. Um, and all of that leaves me wondering whether there's just not as many people playing Standard. And um, because the decks seem, you know, so set, uh, people aren't buying, you know, singles. Um, all of those are not scenarios that you want to be pushing your chips in on. Um and despite the fact that there's a couple of interesting decks we're going to talk about that finish in 10th and 12th, um, the format really needs to, you know, have the doors kicked open a little bit for to get some excitement and, you know, some brewing talent back in the in the mix and get people pumped to show up for their local FNMs and so forth. I, you yeah. know, you you mentioned the. Uh, oh God, I keep having I keep having lapses today. You mentioned oh the the promotional materials to get people back into standard. Uh, I mean that's very the, they definitely exist. The uh, the real life treasure chests as they're calling them are out there. Although I don't think that you can really tie those to the weakness of standard because they would have had to decide on those promotions far before uh, they realized that this had turned into a two deck format. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, that's the, my experience says that you could pull that because you don't have to print anything fresh off the presses um, other than the wrappers. You can pull that together in like four to six weeks. The um, So could it have been uh, that they were always planning on doing that as far back as midsummer based on sales figures for the year? Totally possible. Um, uh, whether or not it's coincidental. <laughs> uh 
we're not hearing a lot of positives about standard um two deck formats like mono blue versus uh mono black devotion in the theros era are not where you want to land there there was a max mass exodus from the format um during that era hopefully they will not result uh or end up in the same boat here um but you know we we don't get a a reinvigoration point until uh, either revolt spoilers start to come online so there's a pretty and and the other thing that's not helping is that you know frontier is still very much a fledging format i have yet to hear of any major tournaments being run in the u.s by by notable stores um or lgs's but uh i'm seeing a lot of cross chatter about frontier decks and for frontier concepts and people brewing up and if they if people get focused on fooling around with that format instead of focusing on standard it certainly doesn't help with standard specs um I mean, I haven't played Standard at all this fall. I've only been playing Frontier. Um, that's a little, certainly a unique situation because I'm here in Toronto, which is kind of the the probably the foremost outpost of, of Frontier in North America at the moment. Would um, you say it's the Frontier of Frontier? <laughs> yeah, it could be the Frontier of Frontier. Uh, <laughs> although, I mean... You know, obviously, this is this is a Japanese based concept. <laughs> oh, you finally found the place to I use found it. I got it. We got there. All right, I'll give you that one. The, yeah. So, I mean, I I don't know how many people in the in the heartland of America are really brewing up frontier builds, or whether that's distracting them from standard. But there's a confluence of of various factors that don't make me feel uh, tremendously good about um standard specs you know i recommended gideon a while back that he could uh when he was at 20 to get to 30 i said could he get to 40 um, if people were really into standard and standard had a lot of like uh you know uh variation and decks coming to the forefront week after week and people thought the format was great then i think he could get to that 40 but at this point i think that if you can get out on gideon's in the in the mid 20s um, and you got in, you know, anywhere south of 20, then you're probably happy and just move on. Um, there's other places to be putting your money. Uh, a lot of these sales that, you know, you and I have been talking about today are focused on casual cards that I that I have a lot more faith in. Um, they might take a lot, uh, a little longer to come to fruition, but the profits are going to be higher. Well, I, I can't, I can't argue with your comment that, uh, you know, when the format tends to be settled um, and you see these decks kind of do what we're seeing with flash and delirium, which we have seen in, in past standards. Um, I, I've, I have certainly found myself looking at it and going, why aren't the prices on these cards moving? Um, you know, this deck is like a huge component of standard. I would expect to see more out of it. And it just, it just never really materializes. So that may be what we're seeing here. And, um, so I definitely respect that that is, is a, is a strong possibility. I, I, I hope that Kaladesh brings, or not Aether Revolt brings more, um, because right now standard is just it's shadows of Innistrad block constructed and I guess what's blue white flash even isn't, isn't blue white flash heavily shadows of Innistrad as well uh, yeah like, pretty heavily eldritch moon right because it leans yeah. heavily on selfless spirits and spell quellers and so forth yeah and then you've got reflector mage from oath of the gatewatch right that's still in there so and Avacyn um, hmm? out of shadows Abyssin, yeah. So, I mean, really, these are just like essentially block decks with a couple support here and there. And it's a shame because Kaladesh has a lot of really interesting cards in it. So I hope that, 
Aether Revolt can can open the format a little bit. Some new energy cards might do a lot to at least push Aether uh, Aether Mar- Aetherworks Marvel back into the format. Um, you know, they have pretty minimal tools right now uh, compared to what they could end up with. In in many ways, we're seeing what you know the the outcome of having very polarizing themes. Right, you have the Delirium theme really wanting caring about you know number of card types that are in the graveyard and and all the cards in that block were set up to enable that. And then in Kaladesh, it's all about artifacts, and and the two are not don't have a really strong interaction. Um, however, that's a perfect segue into the deck that finished in twelfth um, at Star City Games uh, in Standard, the black green ether uh, etherworks Marvel deck um, is definitely a new take uh, on that concept. It was in the hands of Brad Carpenter, and I believe his friend finished in the somewhere around twenty sixth as well with the same deck. And this tries to jam the kind of the two concepts together. It takes the Black Green Delirium um, and the Energy Etherworks Marvel uh, combo and pushes them all together with two Noxious Gear Hulk, four Servant of the Conduit, four Emrakul, the Promised End, and then from the kind of Delirium side of things, three Ishkana and three Liliana, the Last Hope. And then the spells are all made up of things to either um, generate energy via vis-a-vis Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot, um, Aetherworks Marvel and Attune with Aether, um, or set up the graveyard with things like Grapple with the Past, Vessel of Nascency, and Traverse the Ulvenwald. Um, so I think it's interesting that, you know, they were able to pull these kind of two disparate threads together and get enough overlap to get pretty close to a top eight. Um, also interesting in the sideboard, there were, they had the, they had tireless trackers, uh, in the side instead of the main. Um, I, I read a, a, a write-up uh, about the deck um, on Star City today, and they were talking about how they they thought they had their sideboard all messed up, and that people should basically disregard it and figure out a better one. Um, so you know maybe this is maybe this is a, a deck that could um, push to the forefront. The thing here is that this is you know largely the same cards that um, most of the cards in this deck don't cost anything, and the ones that do are already uh, black green delirium staples. So um, people getting onto this deck. Uh, might help Etherworks uh, Marvel, but isn't likely to push uh, Ishkana or Liliana much further than they already are. I would love to see some additional traction on Emrakul, though. That would be great. Still got a couple of those floating around. Yeah, I've got a few, a couple sets left I'd still like to unload. Although I think that Emrakul purchased around 10, which is, I think, around where I got in on mine. Um, you know, held for the long term is is going to be good anyway. I mean, this is, this is a great long-term casual card. The art is amazing. Um... And uh, it's definitely going to be remembered as one of the iconic Eldrazi. Sure, sure. Don't disagree. Uh, Let's take a look at the modern open side of things. I see Sun and Moon, one, which we talked about last week, too. I think we had a card. We had a card show up on our movement list because of that deck, I feel like. Um, Scrud Red, too, in in fourth place. Uh, There's some real demand for that deck, too, by the way. I listed four foil screds that I dug up from a personal collection box, and they sold within like 12 minutes. Um, so definitely some people out there looking to play Scred Red uh, and some Red Green Breach, too. So some some interesting decks showing up over on the modern side of things. Definitely a uh, a vibrant format, if nothing else. I, I'm very excited to see Scred Red top eight again so soon. It was only in a classic, not in an open, um, but still. And there's some interesting uh, progression in this version of the deck. Um, uh, it's running three copies of Eternal Scourge instead of the two that we saw in the version that one uh, took down the first place in the tournament. Uh, a little short while ago, 
Um, and it's running the four Koth of the Hammer and two Chandra Torch of Defiance, but it's also running two Chandra Flame Color out of Oath of the Gatewatch. This is the six casting cost Chandra um, that puts three one red elemental creature tokens into play for the plus one. On zero, discard all your all the cards in your hand, then draw that many cards plus one, and then the minus X is deal X damage to each creature. Um, I can't see say that any of us saw Chandra Flame Color coming as a addition to a deck in modern anytime soon. No, I, I, I would not have pegged it for that. Interestingly enough, the foils are on sale over at the Star City side of things. Uh, they weren't too expensive either. Wait, 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 wait. Give me two seconds here. Yeah, the foils are on sale for 10 bucks. So there you go. If you're, if you're in the market for Chandra Flame Collars, it's not bad. But it is interesting. I suppose it's not impossible to see her show up in modern. Um, seems to fit, I suppose. I like that. I like the rat there being a wrath ascent effect stapled to the planeswalker that you can then continue to gain uh, loyalty with. I, I'm just surprised you can cast six cast cost planeswalkers in, in in modern that aren't done with Tron lands and and have that work out, uh, especially given how fast the format is right now in general. Um, I thought the other interesting modification here was getting rid of the um, uh, what is the artifact they were running in the last list that cast cost two. Uh, Mindstone. Mindstone. Yeah, they replaced the Mindstone with three Cold Steel Heart, which is a snow artifact. Has the downside mm-hmm. of coming into play tapped, but um, has the benefit of increasing the total um, never n- number of stone uh, snow covered permanents to twenty four out of sixty, <clears throat> which helps to enable scrying sheets. So you have just shy of a one in you know one in two chance of uh, turning on scrying sheets on any given turn. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And as you said, the the top eight was very diverse. Um, you know, the Bantel Drazi lists, you know, still showing up in top eights time after time after time, driving home our points around Reality Smasher, time Thought Not Seer, and Eldrazi Displacer. Um, speaking of Eldrazi Displacer, I wanted to point out to people, um, we've talked about this card a couple times. It's been on our list a couple times. Um, I've purchased it at least two or three times over the last uh, four months. And I went in for another dip uh, last night or the night before um, to pick up another 10 copies around 10 or $11 and realize that there are very, very few left. Um, Eldrazi Displacer Foils, uh, feeling like that pick is not an 8 out of 10 now. It's probably a 10 out of 10, um, anything <laughs> under $12. Um, just looking at what's left on on the table, it's only going to take a couple dozen more purchases, and then these things just aren't going to exist on the internet. And this is for a card that was printed less than a year ago, folks. We did it, James. We did it. Uh, there's a lot. There's so many more people that are involved here because in between each relatively small purchasing bout um, that each of us may have gone through. So looking at TCG this morning, um, I'm only seeing about 25 results listed. There's five more copies available at 11.45, and then it pretty quickly climbs up over 13. It's not going to take more than a few dozen more copies of these to get uh, picked up before this thing is just totally sold out. Um, And this is within a year of it being printed, folks. Uh, Compare that to Grim Flare Foils. Um, and you know that's a foil mythic that's making headway in modern as well. And they have about uh, th- there may actually be less uh, Eldrazi displacers around than there are Grim Flayers potentially on the back of EDH play being uh, a bonus for the card uh, over and above Grim Flare. Hmm. Well, I mean, we've been banging this drum for, drum for so long. Maybe it will finally fi- finally see us vindicated in our 
proclamations here. Yeah, I've never, I, I never had any doubt that it was going to get there. I'm just surprised it's getting there this fast. Um, you know, normally I have like on this kind of thing, I would have a one to two year window to try to find yeah. my out. You know, when I picked up collected company foils, it was about 12 to 14 months later that I got my chance to go exit. Um, but I think Displacer is going to get there faster. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. This is, it, it, I agree, it is going a little quicker than I expected it to as well. Um, All right, so okay. our uh, final topic this week, we just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit uh, about uh, the holiday season and uh, why the holiday season uh, can be a particularly great time to be speculating. Um, there has is certainly been a lot of uh, doom and gloom um, spread over the MTG Finance community over the course of this year. Um, the sheer number of products coming out, the number of reprints that have been announced, um, you know, them taking Eternal Masters and reprinting its quote-unquote limited print run six months after the original. Um, all of these things uh, represent uh, risk uh, in in the process of speculation. Um but the holiday season is a, is a place where you can start to glean some additional points on, on your bottom line. Um, one of the reasons for that is the fantastic sales that many large shops are running in coordination with the Black Friday um, events in the U.S. So specifically this week, both Channel Fireball and Star City Games have had a lot of really great deals posted where you can get 20, 30, 40 percent off the usual uh, cost of things. Um, you know, I was picking up these Seasons Pass copies the other night that I would have been happy to pick up for a dollar and I got them for 75 cents. Um, doesn't get any better than uh, a long range uh, mythic spec that you can get for under a buck, folks. Um, so you definitely want to be keeping an eye out for all that stuff. Take a look at, you know, coupons and discounts. Uh, for instance, when I'm dealing with Channel Fireball, you should always remember to use the HAMPF uh, code that... Uh, uh, Paul Chion uh, makes available through his stream that gives you an automatic 5% off and you definitely want to be looking that kind of stuff up um, when you're trying to take advantage of these deals because you can usually layer them uh, I always thought it was more like a humph humph like a little more of a to it <laughs> humph uh, so one of the other <laughs> things to, to keep in mind is that during the holiday season uh, some people need to ditch cards <laughs> so they can move into uh something more liquid that they can turn into presents for their friends and family. Um, and so over the last few years, I've definitely noticed a trend from about middle of November through to about the second week of December that uh, eBay auctions will start finishing <clears throat> here and there on uh, objects uh, at lower uh, amounts than you would normally expect. So a $100 card might finish in the 60 70 80 range where it would normally finish in the 80 to $90 range. And just something to keep in mind, have your filter set up on eBay, take a look at, uh, uh, you know, things that are finishing soonest. And the other thing to look at for things like um, expeditions and masterpieces is to look at pricing on eBay for um, things that have been posted most recently, because sometimes um, the hottest deals uh, don't last very long. And if somebody posts a $100 card at $60 just to get rid of it because they just ripped it open in a booster draft um, at their local LGS, um, you definitely want to be the person that has eyes on that deal before somebody else grabs it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would say in general, when I'm browsing eBay, it's uh, I will look for the auctions ending soonest so I can see if something's ending in the next hour or two that I can bid on and then items that have buy now items that have been listed most recently um, to see if anything interesting has popped up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, uh, you know, that that between Thanksgiving and December and Christmas time of year is definitely a great point to be 
uh, snagging up magic cards where you can uh, because prices are are low. So it, it pays to have no family and friends that you have to buy things for. <laughs> the other thing to keep in mind is that the biggest chunk of retail sales does happen during the holiday season. Um, so uh, if you had have a bunch of cards sitting around that you haven't outed yet, uh, it would be a very good idea for you to get your act together and get your stuff up on TCG Player, to get your stuff up on Puka Trade, to get your stuff up uh, on eBay and, and maybe throw up some local ads on Craigslist or Kijiji. Um, you know, get uh, an ad together that you can easily update and modify week to week um, and try to make sure that you're tracking all of your, your speculations in the spreadsheet or something uh, similar so that you can keep on top of what you're doing and make sure that you're not missing any opportunities. Mm-hmm. And speaking of holiday opportunities, this just popped up on my Twitter timeline that TCG Player is offering 10% uh, kickback on purchases tomorrow, Black Friday. Um, so this is going to be a treat just for our <laughs> our Pro Trader listeners. So that means that everything you buy on TCG Player tomorrow, you get 10% back in store credit. Um, so if you were planning on buying anything meaningful, uh, tomorrow would be a great day to do it because uh, then you can bank that store credit for later on. So you don't save any cash out of your pocket right right out of the gate. But if you know if you buy Magic cards with any regularity, which I'm sure anyone listening to this does, uh, that's kind of like having 10% off. So um, certainly worth uh, taking a look at TCG Player tomorrow. Yep. And I think we've given everybody some good picks to run with uh, on that basis. So uh, with that, I think we'll say that that's a wrap for this week. Yeah, uh, everybody enjoy your food. Be uh, wait, wait, what is it? It's everyone be a master of the feast. There you go. <laughs> uh, so let's see, James, where where can our loyal listeners find you? you? Guys can find me as always on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Uh, yeah, and I am also over on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. My articles are going up every Monday on MTG Price, and I also do the uh, webcast uh, Cartel Aristocrats most weeks. And I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon, James, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.